All right, Romans chapter 11, if you will. Romans chapter 11 in your Bible. We spent this year looking at the book of Nehemiah mainly, done some dabbling in Ezra. But our theme has been building and battling by the book. And Nehemiah is sort of more than just a construction story of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. It is a rebuilding of the people of Israel. The regathering uh, after they had been scattered due to sin in their life and in their nation. And uh, one of the things that really struck me was I, that I needed to teach you about Israel. You know, it would be very easy for me to stand up here and focus blame and demean uh, a people group and people would rally and, and uh, would agree. It is amazing how people love to have a group of people to demonize. Hitler did it. Uh, countless numbers of cultures have done it against other cultures. Now, it is amazing to me that Israel seems to be the easiest there are two groups of people that the world loves to demonize. One are the Jews, and the second one are Christians. Nobody dares demonize a Muslim. But uh, the Jews and Christians are easy to demonize and blame. As a matter of fact, in the first century, there was an emperor. His name was Nero. And Nero's economy, the economy in Nero's day was awful. And he had a lot of senators... Uh, in the Roman Senate that were turning against him. And in order for him to sort of come out on top, uh, the theory is, now nobody can prove it, but the theory is he burned Rome almost to the ground. And while Rome was burning, it is said that he was playing the violin because he had already put it in motion that the Jews had done it. No, that the Christians had done it. See, he had already used up all of his Jew attacks, and so he now turned to blame the Christians for burning uh, Rome down. And for 50 miles in all directions out of Rome, Christians were gathered and impaled on sticks and tarred and then lit with fire in order so that people knew that's what we think of Christians. And Christians were indefensible. They could not go to court. They couldn't prove their innocence. They were just blamed. My point is this. Uh, it is easy to blame a people group, and Christians do it. It's called racism. But Christians need to understand about, about uh, Israel here. Romans chapter 11 and verse 28 and 29. Romans chapter 11, 28, 29. Con- as concerning the gospel, they are our what? They're our enemies. They they listen. If we lived in, if we, if I went to, if all of us moved, try to move to Israel and try to have a church, they would run us out. Okay, concerning the gospel, they, the unbelieving Jews, are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they, those same unbelieving Jews, still are what? They're still beloved. We're not dealing with good Jews, not dealing with believing Jews, not dealing with Christian Jews. We're dealing with unbelieving Jews. They are still beloved for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sakes. Verse 29 says the reason, and it says this, for the gifts 
and the calling of God are without repentance. That means that God, when God gives something, he doesn't take it back. And when God calls Israel, he doesn't change his mind. Now, let me just say, these six undeniable truths about Israel, that looks a little fuzzy to me. Let me see if I can, there we go. Uh, Israel, in its history, and its politics are very complex. So don't think for a moment that you can just sit and watch one or two YouTubes and then armchair judge and understand the Jews. And that you can decide their place in God's plan through the ages. Uh, and yet too many Christians are watching a lot of nuts on the YouTube and they're coming to the conclusion that God's all through with Israel and that uh, the Jews are a cursed race and all this rubbish. If you're wasting your time watching uh, uh, big-mouthed um, uh, jerks on YouTube teaching you that God doesn't, that the Jews aren't God's people still, then you're in the wrong business, folks. Uh, uh, you're watching somebody who is of the devil because the devil hates the Jews, not God. Don't, don't you take the centerpiece of the Bible and shove it around any way you feel like it to make it fit your theology. There is a view that says the Jews are evil. And it's held by a lot of Christians. As if that's a revelation. As if, oh, they're evil. Of course they're evil. And so are you. The Christian church has, they, there are people who say that the Christian church has replaced the nation of Israel in God's plan. That Israel is not Israel anymore. That the lost tribes, watch this, because there have been entire cults created on this concept that the lost tribes of Israel migrated up into Caucasian, became white Caucasians, and moved to England, America. That's a lie, and that's a cult. There are people that say that anyone or any nation that claims to be Jewish should be ignored and should be wiped off the map, literally. And they say that because the Jews killed Jesus. That's why you find them throughout history being brutally mistreated throughout history in the, in, in the Western world like no other nation. That is why the Catholic Church turned a blind eye to the Jews being tortured, experimented on, slaughtered, and blamed throughout World War II. That is why most nations rejected the fleeing Jews and forced them to live in ghettos and ultimately in the desert wastelands of Palestine. They say that since the Jews do not believe the Bible and they did not follow their Messiah, then they no longer have any place in this world. You know what's funny? Those are churches that actually preach that trap. And there are people in those churches that rally underneath that like they were in a Nazi rally. There are people that believe that all unsaved Jews are of Satan. And that their star of David really is the star of Satan. You know what? I don't care whether that is or is not. That does not determine anything with God. God says they're a beloved. I'm going to show you that this morning. I hope it rattles your cage. Now, so many Christians throughout history, and I mean Christians, have believed the Jews are the root problem of the whole world. They believe that the Jews created all the financial problems. They control all the banks, they control all the corrupt governments, and they've been behind all the worldwide disasters. There's a Catholic church father named John Chrysostom. 
He held, as most Catholic church fathers did, that the sins of all Jews were, quote, communal and endless. That's what he said. He says, it is of entirety. It, it affects the, the, the sins of the Jews are in all of them, and they are endless. To him, his Jewish neighbors were the collective representation of all alleged crimes of all pre-existing Jews. And he went, too far, went so far as to say that because Jews had rejected the Christian God in human form, Jesus, they therefore deserved to be killed. This was a Christian pastor who said that they should be killed whenever possible. And that was the theology of the Catholic Church for the thousand years. Martin Luther in the 16th century said that Christians should go and burn down every synagogue and that the Jews should be completely deprived of their religion simply because of how they treated Jesus. You know what? Martin Luther forgot one thing. When Jesus was on the cross, you know what he said? Father, forgive them, the ones who crucified me. Christ didn't cry out and says, curse them! You know, aren't you glad Jesus can forgive? But you see, there's a whole range of Christian groups out there, and I use Christian with a small c because I don't believe all of them are, are anywhere near biblical. But there's a whole group of them, and they fill their audience with people who would rally and say, yeah, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Instead of God's people, God's people, God's people. St. Augustine said this, The Jews will forever bear the guilt for the death of Jesus. It's become very fashionable today. And it's as if we never realized that the Jews did anything wrong. I know they did wrong. As a matter of fact, let me quote some scriptures for you. Matthew 26, 4. And they, the Pharisees, consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Is that news to you? Of course they wanted him dead. Luke 19, 47, he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. John 7, 1, and after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Why is it, why is it that everybody thinks that, oh yeah, those Jews wanted to kill him? Hello, of course they did. You know, if you met God in the flesh, you would reject him too as an unsaved person. Because darkness doesn't like light. But everybody seems to get a real comfortable thing of pointing out the Jews. Well, don't keep so high-minded. Here's the truth. Truth is, that man turned an entire nation against the world, and they slaughtered, I don't know how many millions of their own people. He's able to do it by blaming the Jews for their economic problem. You know who their economic problem was, was, was part of? Politicians. Well, the Jews lived in ghettos. How are they supposed to be ruining the world? Anyway, here's the truth. Number one, the Jews are not believers in Jesus Christ. Duh. <laughs> Obviously, if they were believers, they would be followers. They would be Christians. Amen? So they're different. Number two, doesn't... That fact doesn't mean that they've been ejected from God's special place and purpose, their election. They still have a special purpose and a special place in God's plan, above all people. Thirdly, most people, even Christians, have no idea what it means to say Israel is God's people. They're afraid of it. I aims to change that. Uh, did you know that according to Romans chapter 1, go there. You're in Romans 11, go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to how many that believe? Alright, so it's home to everyone, isn't it? But it goes to the who first. It goes to the Jew first. And it does not say, and then to the Greek. No, and also to the Greek. So you never stop witnessing to the Jews. You never stop focusing on the Jews, but they get what place? First. Do you know one of my burdens is that we get to the place where we can financially support a missionary to the Jews. I don't know many Jews around Cork, so I'd like to support financially and prayerfully somebody who's surrounded by Jews and giving them the gospel every day. Amen. Because they deserve the gospel first. Secondly, do you ever think about how all the law, all the prophets, the Messiah, all the apostles came from the nation of Israel? It's a pretty important country. And that when God looks at the world, he sees only three groups. Not red and yellow, black and white. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. Go back to the left. No, sorry, go to the right. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. All this is background. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. I had, I've been working on this thing for a month. This set of messages. And this message, had it had 10 undeniable truths about Israel. Then it became 9 because it got so big, and then it became seven. It's down to five, and I don't even know if I'll be able to do all five. We'll have to see. Because they're just so big. There are so many things I'm going to show you this morning, but i got to show you this. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give none offense. You shouldn't be offensive. The gospel is offensive. We shouldn't be. Give none offense, neither to the who. All right, here's our first people group. To the Jews. Paul said, don't go offending the Jews. Number two. Don't go offending the Gentiles, and nor to the church of God. Those are the three people groups. All right, the Jews, they're right now concentrated. There's uh, six and a half million of them over there in the land. Uh, there's eight million spread out through the rest of the world. Most of them are in America and, and uh, England and France and things. But there's the Gentiles, that's you and me. And then there's a the Christian, well, I say Gentiles, those are the unbelieving Gentiles. And then there's a church of God, which is composed of both believing Jews and Gentiles. So those are only three. When God looks down the world, he doesn't see Russians or Irish or Americans or German or French. He sees Jew, Gentile, and Christians. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, why does it matter? Why does it matter? This tiny little country, about six and a half million Jewish people, another eight million living abroad, matters absolutely to, to absolutely everyone in the world. Why? Number one, because it matters to prophecy. I need you to go to Ezekiel. If you find Daniel, you've gone too far. Just before Daniel is the book of Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 and verse 21. Ezekiel 37, 21. This is a prophecy about the future. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of who? Of Israel, from among all the heathen, among the Gentiles, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them unto their own, what? 
So what is Palestine? Who's it belong to? The Jews. It's their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Verse 23. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned. And I will cleanse them so that they will... So, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And even David, my servant, that's the resurrection here. David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children, for ever and David my servant uh, shall be their prince forever I don't know what I'm doing wrong here moreover I will make a covenant of peace with them it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and will multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore my tabernacle also shall be with them yea I will be their God and they shall be my people now here's the point Israel matters to prophecy because either what was predicted explicitly will come to pass or it won't. If the Bible says something and it doesn't come to pass, what does God say? Then it's not true. God says, this is how you know if a prophet came from me or not. If what he says doesn't come to pass, he did not come from me. Because it has to come to pass or else the Bible is not true. Now, if the nation of Israel is actually if it actually is living proof of prophecy being fulfilled, which it is, then the entire world should sit up and take notice. Did you know um, uh, most of the prophecies in the Bible are about Israel? They're not about you and me. Now, there's a lot of things we can claim, but there's a lot of things that the Jews have yet to experience that they're going to get. And... Israel matters to those prophecies. Those prophecies have to come true for them or else God's a liar. Number two, Israel matters to God. You're in Ezekiel. I'm taking you to some, some prophets here. Ezekiel's way to the right. Oh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Zechariah, almost to Matthew. Zechariah, Z-E-C-H. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. Zechariah 2, verse 8. You need to find out how many have actually found that place. Are you going around, I can't find it. Well, just act like you found it and listen to me for a second. <laughs> 2.8 says this, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. Spoiled you Jews. I've, I've been sent to you guys among the nations that have taken advantage of you. And he warns, he says, for he that touches you Jews toucheth the apple of his eye. I gave you the illustration last week of a bowl of apples at a table. They didn't have Cadbury's bars back then. They had fruit. And when you'd sit down and you're going, I want that apple, and everybody else going, that's my apple. Well, when God sees Israel, God says, that's my apple. Don't touch it. Anybody that does touch Israel is touching God's, the apple of God's eye. Israel matters to God. They're his people. They're his responsibility. 
They're his testimony to the world of what he is like, and they are the center of all God's plans. Let me be real plain. You ought to do some study on the Six-Day War that Israel had to experience. They, were, they had no weapons. They had weapons left over from World War II. They were uh, the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, the constant attack by 47 nations surrounding them. And any one time, 12 and 15 of them want to come in and just try and wipe them out. They've never been able to do it. Not because of all the weaponry that the West has given them, but because God seems to protect them every time. Because they matter to God. Israel matters to the world. Look at chapter 12 there in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12 in verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the, in the siege both against Judah and Jerusalem. Now, here's a great illustration that anybody who ever, you know, you pick up a, a, a normal cup of tea or whatever, you steady your hand, you take a sip, but whenever you deal with Israel, just, just everything goes wrong. <laughs> and the point is that one little tiny spot on the map can affect the whole world. You think of, since 1948, the whole world hasn't been able to rest without one major news story every day about Israel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just, uh, whether you're in Spain or you're in South Africa or you're in Uganda, it is something going on up in that little country called Israel going on all the time. It matters to the world. What happens in that little nation affects the entire world. It matters to the devil. Above everyone else, the devil hates the Jewish people more than he even hates you and me. You see, he can still mess with Israel. He can't mess with you and me unless we invite him. Matter of fact, he's got a plan to come in there as the Antichrist, and the Jews will fall head over heels for him. He has one plan, that is to destroy him. And God has another plan, that is to save him. Amen? The devil, it matters to the devil what happens in Israel. That's why, that's why when you ever try to witness to a Jew, you will be dealing with some of the most demonic spiritual warfare you've ever dealt with because the devil doesn't want them saved. But according to my Bible, they do get saved. Amen? It matters to the Christian. What, ma what happens to the Jew is always a shadow of what can happen to us. All of the Old Testament events are for our learning. And if you don't want to repeat their mistakes, watch them. Learn from them. How God committed himself to the Jews throughout history shows us how committed he is to us now as believers. You know why? He's committed to us because he's, he's proved that he's committed to Israel. How do I know God will be faithful to me? Because he cannot walk away from Israel. Let me give you a little bit of background. I'm still in background. Don't you love it? If you'll do me a favor, go to Exodus chapter 32. I've got to show you this event. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. 32 and verse 1. I'll show you why God cannot cast away his people. Genesis 32. Now, you know about Aaron's golden cow, okay? Look at verse 1, Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed, you know, kids are 
Kids have never changed, especially big kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Impatience. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and they brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool. After that, he had made a molten calf. He made a big vat full of uh, molten gold, and he shaped it into a cow. And they said, These be thy gods now, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to this Lord now. And they rose up early in the morning to, and offered bird offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. This impatient crowd demanded a God that they could follow. They says, We can't understand this God we can't see, so let's make a God we can. We need a GPS <laughs> that can tell us where to go. We don't care how expensive it is, Moses, uh, 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 Aaron. We don't care how expensive it is, Aaron. Moses wants tithes. That's too much. But if you want every last bit of gold from us, we'll give it to you. Isn't that funny? You will pay if you tallied up all the money you spend during the week and then said, yeah, I'll give to God this much. You should be ashamed. They were willingly to give all of their gold for their God. Then they blasphemed. They said, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. And they were happy. Then God does something amazing. Look in verse 7. He tests Moses. 32 verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, Moses up on the mount, they're getting the Ten Commandments. And he says unto Moses, go, get thee down for thy people. Isn't that cute? God says, your people, Moses. For thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and they've worshipped it. How would you like? Parents, you're bringing your kids to church. You're teaching them the Bible. You're praying with them every evening by the bedside. You're bringing them before God. You're teaching them the right way. You go out of the room, and next thing you hear a... You go in there, and you see your kid bowing down to some demon on the video there on a YouTube thing there, and he's bowing down, oh, great Baal. You'd freak out, wouldn't you? That's how it felt to God. He said, I've delivered these people. I brought them out. I freed them from bondage, from 400 years of slavery. I'm bringing them to the promised land. And as soon as I close the door and spend some time with Moses, they go immediately to worship in an idol, a demonic idol. Um, verse 8, they've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, not me. But these golden gods are thy gods, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. So is God threatening to abandon Israel right at this point? Yes or no? 
be honest, yes. He says that they're not his people anymore. Those are not my people anymore, Moses. You, you're the one that freed those people from slavery. I didn't do it. These people are corrupted, which means they're ruined. They've gone right back to making their idols. They're hard-hearted. They're unchangeable. They need to be destroyed. And I'm just going to start over with you, Moses. Now look at, look at Moses, how he reminds God. Verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God. That is a tender word. Besought means he begins to beg God. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Wait a minute. Why are you angry against your people? How can you be angry against your people? Which it was you thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. And then he says this. He says, wherefore, why should the Egyptians speak and say, it was for mischief did he bring them out? So to slay them, God brought them out of Egypt so that God could kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth, to turn from thy fierce wrath. Repent, God, of this evil against thy people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Now what's cute is this. God backs down, verse 14, and the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Now Moses here, yes, God, you knew this was going to happen. These are your people. How can you say, God, that they are, you knew that they already that way when you saved them. And by the way, he knew how wicked you were when God saved you. And when you do something really stupid as a Christian, don't start thinking God's fed up with you. Because he already knew you. He already knew what you're going to get into, how far you'd go low, and how little you'd be up. Amen. And he still saved you. Amen. You see, if you don't learn from Israel, you'll never learn the Christian life. So here's a people that, now, now God has tested Moses. God's not going, God's not going, all right, I think I'll, I'll go against my, my, my promise. No, he's doing this so that Moses and we get how serious it is when we go away from God, but how secure we are still. I want to just blow your mind. He says, you freed these people. You did it powerfully, God. You swore. Did you see that word? Ah, uh, did I? Verse 12, wherefore should they say? No, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest. He said, God, you swore you were going to get these people into the promised land. You swore it, and the Egyptians are watching. And if you don't do this, if you fail, it'll go back on you. Nobody will trust you, God. Everybody will realize all you are is a mean God. If you have to, if you have to wipe them out, if you go back on your promise, God, it's over. Nobody's going to ever follow you again. That's Moses figuring that out. Let me tell you, you need to figure that out too. And the point is this. Why did God back down? Not because, Abraham, uh, because Moses was a great debater. Not because Moses was a great theologian or a great arguer. You ever gotten an argument saying, surely this will convince them. <laughs> Moses doesn't need to convince God. Moses needs to convince me how serious it is 
as a Christian to live in sin, but also to rest in the fact that God is serious about holding on to me. God broke down because God wanted us to realize his commitment to Israel as a rebellious, hard-hearted, ruined, corrupted people. Were they a good people at this point, yes or no? And God's going to hold on to them. Amen. God is committed to Israel. So let me get as far as I can this morning before I wear you out. Let me say you five, tell you five things, five undeniable truths about Israel. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we've already dealt with a lot of stuff, but let me just open up some eyes and some hearts this morning to a people that we could forget about, we could ignore. We have a tendency to gloss over that this, that this plan involves more than just us. That there's a people group in this world that have been They've been forgotten about, and they need the gospel. And they need the gospel because you're going to use them. I pray, God, we would be a part of that plan instead of against it, because that's what the devil wants. Lord, I pray that we realize all of soul winning is like that. If we don't witness to somebody, they're going to be used, either as an example of ruin or as an example of grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves in this simple message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want to tell you real clear, Israel is God's people above all others. That is undeniable fact number one. That means that God is committed to Israel above you. He's committed to Israel above Ireland. It's always been that way and always will be that way. We read it in Romans chapter 11 concerning the gospel. Yes, they're enemies for, our sake, for your sakes our sakes, but it's touching the election. They are beloved for the Father's sake. Go to Deuteronomy. You're in Exodus. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 2. Here's God speaking to His people, and He says, Deuteronomy 14, 2, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen to be a peculiar people unto himself above. Did you see that word? Above all the nations that are upon the earth. God doesn't have a reward for participation. We're so afraid that if we ever give an award out, we have to have an award for everybody in the audience. God doesn't do that. God says, I've chosen you as a people unto me as a peculiar people to the exclusion of all other nations. Now, you know what that is? That's favoritism. It is favoritism. Now, the Bible word for it is election. So when the Bible talks about election, he's not talking about salvation. Nobody's elected to salvation. But there is a people group that is elected to a purpose. So don't go grabbing and saying, well, everybody's elected. No, they're not. Israel is beloved of God. You're in Deuteronomy. Go back to chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Does God love the whole world, yes or no? Let me tell you, God seems to love Israel a little bit more. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. 
And it's not because they're a great people, a spiritual people. It's not because they're a good people. Look at it. Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his, what's the word? I heard two of you. Say it with me. Love. God, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor elect you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you. Wouldn't it be cute? If you could ask God, God, why do you love you? He says, because I love you. Wait a minute, that doesn't answer my question. He says, yes, it does. <laughs> there is no other reason why God loves anybody. It's because he chooses to love. And that's a good reason for you to love. If you're ever going to love somebody, it'll be because you choose to. He says, because, uh, uh, because the, uh, the Lord loved you, and secondly, because he would keep the oath, the swearing, the promise which he had sworn unto your fathers, Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah. Find Isaiah. Then comes Jeremiah chapter 31. It's funny. If you spent all your time in the New Testament, guess what? You wouldn't get one of this. Even though it's there, I have to take you back to the Old Testament to see some of these great truths about Israel. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, unto Jeremiah, saying, Yea, I have loved thee. Now he's speaking with thee, he's speaking of all of Israel. Now, if you get an idea, Jeremiah is watching the city surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar and an army, an innumerable army that were pulling down the very walls of Jerusalem, were coming in and were slaughtering every man, woman, and child and carrying away the young men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were grabbing them and dragging them away to Babylon. And as Jeremiah is watching this, a voice says to him about those people, God says this, I have loved thee. Talking to those people that were being carried away because of their sin. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I've tried to get you to me because I love you. Verse 4. Now he's watching them being carried away, and then a promise comes in again. I will build thee. They're watching everything fall apart, and God promises, I'm going to rebuild you, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Israel is beloved of God. God loves them. Even though they get messed up and they get uh, chastened, they get judged, they get scattered, God says, I'll draw you back. Now, the truth is this. Israel's sins and even them rejecting their Messiah cannot change God's love for them and God's purpose for them. Go to chapter 51 in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 51 in verse 5. Jeremiah 51 and verse 5. You ought to mark this. For Israel hath not been what? What does it mean to forsake? It means to drive off and leave them behind. God says, I've not done that. Nor Judah forsaken of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though 
their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. And this is what the modern Reformed Church, this is what the modern um, uh, theologically in kind of, of congregation is into these days, and that is the concept that God has abandoned Israel for us. Teach me about me, Pastor. Tell me about how to make my life better. Show me my goodness. Not when you open that Bible. You know what you find? Israel. And you find a lot of mess-ups. And God says, I will not forsake them, even though their lives are full of it. Why does he say that? So that we can realize, thank God, he won't run when my life is full of it. Number two. Go back to Genesis 17. God's covenant relationship with Israel is eternal. Genesis 17. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now, when I say covenant, I want to say a covenant is a legal agreement between two parties that bind the parties to that agreement. Hence, a marriage. You know what they call marriage? Bondage. No, bounds. <laughs> I'm in the bond of marriage. Edge. Bondage. Anyway, it's because you're bound to that person. Amen. For the rest of your life. That's what it is. Oh, our love is freedom. You liar. See what happens in six months. Listen, a covenant is a legal agreement between two parties that binds the parties to that agreement. Well, let's look at God's agreement with Israel. Chapter 17, verse 1, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, <laughs> the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my, here's our word, covenant between me and thee, I will multiply thee exceedingly. How old is he at this point? Genesis chapter 17. He's about, uh, let's see, this is 13 uh, uh, years. He's about 80 some odd years old. He's, uh, Abram. Is he 99? Oh, it's been a long week. I had a great week, but I had 99. Anyway, and God says, I'm going to give you a lot of chilling. <laughs> He's 99 years old. You listening, Dennis, back there? I'm going to multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. I would too. <laughs> what? No. He fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant God is making, I'm making an agreement, God says, is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Abraham means the father of a nation. Abraham means the father of many nations. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed, thy children after thee, in their generations. The modern, I want to warn you, the modern theologian, the modern Slick theologian says the seed that it always says to Abraham's seed is always referring to Christ, which sometimes it is. But I want you to see the construction of the words. He says there, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. Are we talking about children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? Yeah. I will establish my covenant with your literal children to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. 
And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. How long? Everlasting. And I will be their God. All right. Thinking about this, I want you to understand God. What happened there? God made a commitment to Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, that will last forever. You'll find that in his commitment in the Passover. I'm just going to quote it there. Where God says this. And this day shall be unto you for memorial, the Passover, and you shall keep it a feast forever throughout your generations. You'll find it also in the keeping of the Sabbath, where God says, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel. It's not for us. It's for God and Israel forever. So God's covenant relationship with Israel is eternal. It's not over with at the cross. Third, Israel itself is eternal. Go to Jeremiah 31. This is precious. Jeremiah chapter 31. In verse 35. Three verses here. Jeremiah 31, 35. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night. So who made them? The sun, the moon, and the stars. God did. Which divideth the sea when the ways thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, right here, take a look at the universe around you and all the laws that govern it. Go down to verse 37. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven can above be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. Just stop there for a second and say try and try and understand this universe. And then he says this. Go back to verse 36. If those laws of physics, that's what those ordinances are, if those ordinances that put them all in motion Depart from before me, saith the Lord. Then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, if you could dig down and find every last bit of gold, silver, if you could understand all the depths of the earth, that's when I will also cast off all the seed of Israel forever for all that they have done, saith the Lord." So just try to stop the universe, try to understand it all, and if you could do the impossible, only then will God ever do away with Israel. So God's promise is secure that Israel is and always will be God's people above all other people. Secondly, that God cannot cast away his people. He couldn't throw them away if he wanted to. You know what he says? I've graven you in my hand. Now when he says that, now I apply that to my relationship to him as well, because my name's written down in heaven. The Bible says, in my, uh, 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 no man can pluck them out of my hand, no man can pluck them out of my father's hand. I claim that same relationship, but it began with Israel being graven there, not tattooed by the way, but graven there, it will never be taken away. God cannot go, I don't know who that name is. No, the name is Israel. God cannot be like him trying to cast it away. It can't be thrown away. And God cannot lie. Aren't you glad for that? God cannot say one thing but me and another. God cannot say one thing and says, yeah, but I changed my mind. Romans 12, 11, 2 says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. 
He already knew how messed up they were going to be. He knew how they would fall away from him over and over and over again. He knew that they would reject the Messiah. He predicted it. He records it, but he records that they are his people still. Number four, there are two Israels. <laughs> there are two Israels. There are those who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, physically, who some of them even obey the commandments externally like the Pharisees. And then there are those who believe and live the commandments and covenants in their hearts. It's always been this way. I need you to, to go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, to the left. Deuteronomy chapter 10. By the way, this is called meat. If you like milk, it's time to have some meat sometime too. Deuteronomy chapter 10, because it's going to get very hard to stand with Israel very soon. If we really are in the last days like I'm convinced we are, it is not going to go well, neither for Israel nor for a Christian who stands with Israel. Oh yeah, you'll have churches will grow if you can slam the Jews, if you can, can, can say that they're behind all of the conspiracies if some Jew up there in the Rothschilds are, are trying to control the banks. You need to shut your mouth. Because it's not a Jew problem, it's a sin problem, and it's in every heart. It's not just in the Jewish heart, it's in your heart too. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15. From the very beginning, God says this. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15. Only the Lord had the delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Amen. But verse 16 says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. So even in Moses' day, there were the Jews that came out of Egypt, but they had never been changed in their heart. Would you understand that? Uh, Romans chapter 2 now. Go to the right. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. Romans 2, 28. Romans 2.28 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, the right kind of Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And here's your point. There is a physical, national Israel made up of Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there is believing Israel. There is one external and one internal. One uh, internal spiritual Jew. They both are Jews. Don't get the idea that this is not a Jew. No, they've been Jews ever since they were born. But physical Jews are genetically different. Haven't they been doing these ancestry tests lately a lot? You, you, I don't know what you do, I haven't done it, but you send in a sample uh, and, and they come back and they say you're, you're supposedly part American Indian. Like somebody was claiming over in America there. You're, you're, <clears throat> a lot of white supremacists found out they were 20% black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody's finding out genetics. Did you know what? Jews are genetically a different people, amen? That is easy to identify. They are, they are sometimes in their land, but most of the time they're not. But that doesn't mean they were not a nation when they weren't in their country. Okay? 
Then you got these that believe. They believe in the covenant. And their spiritual believing Israel. They're a believing remnant within the nation of Israel. Somebody once called it an Israel in Israel, which is true. They are born-again Jewish believers who've repented and believed in their own Messiah. They are the remnant that Paul refers to, the remnant of Israel that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. By the way, we Gentiles get into Israel by faith. I wish I could go through. I'll go through it a little bit probably next week. But I need you to go to Galatians chapter 3. You're in Romans. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 and verse 26. For you're all the children, 326, for you're all the children of God by what? Well, by my church. By my church. No, your church doesn't get you anywhere. You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Where's my baptism go? Nowhere. There is no baptism there. There is no church membership there. There's no good works there. You're a child. You're made a child of God by how? Well, it can't be that easy. Thank God it's that easy. Verse 27, for as many of you has been baptized into, not water, but into who? That's salvation. When you've been baptized into Christ, you've actually put on Christ. There is therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek now. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye, you and me, Abraham's seed. And we're heirs according to the very same promises that were given to Israel. So there are two Israels. Last, oh, that's what it does. If you've ever seen some fruit trees cannot bear fruit until they've had a fruitful tree grafted into it. And if your life, what, what God did was he took us and grafted us into a fruitful tree. And that is, that is uh, a, a marvelous picture of the, the system that God began with Abraham and I'm a, I'm a Gentile. God placed me into Christ and I get all the benefits of that tree that belongs to the Jews. And I didn't take it from them. I got to be included with them. Lastly, the people said amen. Israel, the nation needs to be saved. Go to Romans 3, to the left. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As it is written, only the Jews are righteous. Is that what it says? Not at all. See, we're not talking about the righteousness of Israel. We're not talking about Israel is automatically saved. We're talking about Israel has a special place in God's plan and in his heart. But they are lost. Who did Jesus come to save? The Jews. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's his first job. Where is he that is born king of the... Okay. They're lost, though. Look down there in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Verse 23. For how many have sinned? All have sinned, and all have come short of the glory of God. Look at chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death to everyone. 
The gift of God is eternal life. Not through being a Jew, but through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.13 now. I'm just showing you simple verses for whosoever, Jew or Gentile, Irish or French. And that's a long stretch. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? So here's the truth. As a nation, Israel is wicked. If you ever get to go to Israel, do not experience the nightlife. They are one of the most wicked countries with their open sin. You do not look to them for a godly lifestyle example. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah over there. And they have rejected the Old Testament. They have rejected everything about the Bible. You talk to a rabbi and all they do is they teach traditions. They do not teach the Bible. So we're not talking about a people that even resemble anything biblical. They need to be saved. Secondly, they will go to hell unless they repent of their sinfulness and turn to the Messiah and accept His sacrifice in His place. And you're in chapter 10. Look at verse 14. How shall they, Jews, call on Him of whom they not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What do the Jews need? What do the Jewish man, woman, or child that you ever get a chance to meet? What do they need? You'd open your mouth and give them the gospel. They need to be saved. You know what? It's funny. They're going to hell because they rejected Jesus Christ and because they don't want any part of the Bible. So is your family. So is your neighbors. So is our entire country. They think they know Jesus. But they do not know Him. The gospel's for everyone. Why? Because everyone is lost. Every physical Jew you could ever meet has to repent. Every physical Gentile you meet, every Irishman, every Nigerian, every German, every American, every Spaniard, every Italian has to believe the same gospel. No one's religion saves them. The Jews have a special place, but they ain't going to heaven. Election never means salvation. And there probably includes some people in this room this, this morning that need the gospel. Let me say next week, I'm going to show you what your responsibilities are to the Jews. It's not just to, to witness to them, but there's more to it. But before that, let me just give you an invitation. You need to forget about the Jewish people for a minute. There's other people. You know, people have all kinds of questions. What about the people? off? Forget about all that stuff. I'm going to talk to you this morning. Jesus came to save them. Go to John chapter 1, and we're done. Gospel of John chapter 1. Jesus came to save his own people. John chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the world. John 1. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the whole world knew him not. They didn't realize who it was. He came into his own, his own what? Came to his own people, and his own received him not. You think about that? He came to his own people. They rejected him. Put him on that cross. Verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them to believe on his name. Which is more important, being a son of Abraham or a son of God? Hallelujah. Amen. Some people worry about, you tell me I need to be a Jew? Not on your life. Hallelujah. 
you need to be a child of God. You need to become a Christian where there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus came to save them, but he came to save more than just them. He came and rejected by the Jewish people as we read, but it's to as many Jewish and Gentile people as will just receive him. You know, he comes and he knocks and he waits. And he asks for you to say, I want you or not. And to as many as will just receive him, he's at the door. Believe on him and trust in him and follow him. To them gives he the power to become the sons of God and to become the sons, the people of God. Now, you may think you're pretty good. I've not met too many Jews that ever said they were bad. And I got to listen to a lot of them when I was in New Jersey. We lived in a very Jewish section of, of, of uh, our town. When the pastor sent me out soul winning, he always sent me to the Jewish section. It was very frustrating because nobody wanted to listen to the gospel. But I, I tell you what, every one of them said they were good people. Every one of them, just like every Irishman I knew deal with today too. You may think you're a pretty good person, but we're all sinners until we fall in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save my soul. Maybe you need to pray that this morning. Maybe you need to bow your head as we stand. Grab your hymnal, but first of all, bow your head. And realize the Jews aren't there just as a story. They're there as an example and illustration for us. And if you do not learn the lessons of Israel, you're destined to repeat them. What's the lesson, what's the lesson of Israel? You can miss the Son of God. Did you hear me? What is the biggest lesson of Israel? You can turn your back and walk away from the Son of God who came to save you. Just like he came to save them and they rejected him, there are too many people, maybe in this room, who come to this church, listen to the preaching, and went, yeah. Don't do that. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, in this brief moment, I ask you to convict hearts. And we take it very serious that this big book, the Bible, has a lot to teach us. And we've been afraid. We've been, we've been negligent, maybe. I actually learned the real lessons from some people who are just like us, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, never been changed on the inside, never been born again. There are plenty of Christians maybe in this room who have never seen your, your hand upon Israel. We ought to be ashamed of that, God. Lord, I pray that you'd convict us that we need to pray for Israel. We need to stand with Israel. There's a lot that we need to do. And we do it not because we're trying to earn brownie points, but because we want to do right. Because that's what you do. And if I can just stand with you, I'll be a whole lot better off than standing with the world and all their opinions. Stand with all these dumb modern theologians. God, I pray that you would convict some hearts this morning and change us, change our view of Israel. Because your view has never changed. Neither should mine. So, Lord, somebody in this room needs to get saved. Somebody needs to realize that you really came for them. And they don't need to do the same thing the Jews did. As a nation, they walked away from Jesus. They received him not. But today, somebody can. If they would just cry out to him with all their heart. Oh, God, please, move in our midst this morning. As we sing, in Jesus' name, amen.